0: We're going to be preaching out of Matthew 22, um, verse 37, a bit today. We'll be jumping around a little bit because we love the Word and we want to prove what's really going on here. Famous, famous scripture. And Jesus said to him, this is after the teacher, or after, uh, I believe it's a Pharisee. Yep, the Pharisees, Sadducees are asking the question, what is the greatest of commandments? And Jesus uh, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Lord, we just came, come before you, and we, we, we just ask, as always, that your spirit will govern us, your spirit will give us a spirit of revelation and understanding. Lord, that when we read the word that it, it always shines new insights into who you are, Father. Amen. So today is a message on uh, what I'm calling the mind and heart balance. That's what we're calling it. And uh, what we have here is, this is a, a culmination to... I think a culmination, maybe in another two weeks, because next week Josh is going to be preaching um, in another two weeks, I may, I may end the sermon series. I don't know, maybe this will be the end of the sermon series on covenant. Um, we'll just see how the Holy Spirit leads, amen? Uh, but yeah, we've had a couple weeks off, because we had Palm Sunday, we had Resurrection Sunday, so it's, oh, sometimes it's disjointing, like, oh, you remember back three weeks ago? When? But well, that's what we're doing. So we're continuing uh, the notion of covenant, and so what we were saying in, in the big picture is covenant is a sacred agreement between two parties, a sacred agreement. It's not just an agreement, but it's, there's a sacredness to it. And the Lord's covenant with his people, there are largely seven main covenants that you see develop in, in, in the, both the Older Testament and the Newer Testament. There's about seven big, big ones. There's little ones, but the seven big ones. Uh, and so we're working our way through all of those. And so today we're tackling you know, the, the, the big one. The, the white elephant in the room. And, and that is tackling the understanding and the relationship in some regards. I mean, we, I could teach a year on this. But tackling uh, the understanding between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's something that like, really, really needs to be done. I mean, just recently, I think it was Charles Stanley. Or maybe it was not Charles Stanley? It was his son. Andy Stanley like, came out and said, like, we don't need to read the Old Testament. Like, it's just, like, it's, it's that's the God of wrath and we don't need that. And it's like, whoa, like, what's going on here? Word of God is eternal. Isaiah from the Old Testament says that you know the flowers will fade, the grass will, well, the, the flowers will wither, grass will, no, the grass will wither. You know what I'm talking about? Is it grass will fade? No, help me out, guys. No, the flowers will wither, the grasses will fade, and but the word of the Lord stands forever. I'm sorry, I was getting it too mixed up in my head because I was like off the cuff. You know what I'm saying? Like there, there's a there's a binding here. Um, but with that being said, there, there, there is some misconceptions of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I believe that the, it really is, is a notion of mind and heart. And what I mean by this is, largely speaking, um, there's a misconception uh, in, in the church. And the misconception is this, that the Old Testament is really, it lends itself and gravitates to the things of the mind. Like you think, like, it's law, it's law, it's law, you know, the legal mind... And then the second misconception is, oh, the New Testament is all about heart and grace. Well, it is true. There's heart and grace in the New Testament. And there's obviously laws in the Old Testament. But the reality here is that there is an imbalance that happens. And the imbalance comes into our way of thinking. The reality is, in order to understand the Word of God, the complete Word of God, you need to look at both covenants through the lens of both heart and mind. You need both. If you don't, you get imbalance. And if you don't, you get messy theology and messy people. You really do. And I just, you know, I want to I show you this. I always found this fascinating as can be. Um, the Jewish tradition, which Christians have kind of continued with, uh, is that there are 613 mitzvot, or commandments, in the Old Testament. It's like, 613? That's, that's a lot that one would have to adhere to, right? It's like, man, thank God I'm not underneath that anymore. Like, 613 commandments. There's a lot to do and not do and to remember and oh my gosh. But this is what happens when we get things out of, out of balance. You fail to recognize that in the New Testament, there are 1,050 commandments. Like, if you actually take a look at what God, what Jesus and Paul tells you to do, there's more commandments in the New Testament than the Old Testament. Now, obviously, we know the greatest of commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do that, well, then all other commandments and all other things will happen. But do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do this. 1,050, and some nut job out there actually counted them all out. Like, I... For example, for example, like uh, abstain, uh, don't have any idols, do not fornicate, do not eat any strangled meats, Duh, don't eat anything that's offered to idols, a- avoid all appearance of evil. But then also cool things like be exceedingly glad, be reconciled to a brother. Like that's a command. Like to have joy is a command. To be reconciled to a brother is an actual command. Like you're to do not fear. Now in the New Testament, you're like, oh well, you know, he says. Do not fear, but it's a command. Do not fear, but that law and those commands are done through the place of the heart and love and grace, so it's not heavy, overbearing. You know what I'm saying? And so there's more. I mean, obviously, it just kept going and kept going and kept going. Do not like, do not be like the hypocrites in prayer. Do not be like the heathen. Uh, be not hypocrites when fasting. Don't call yourself a rabbi. Don't call anyone a father. Right? Like, Rabbi, a great teacher. I, 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 nuts. Like, the official title of the Assemblies of God for me is a reverend. I'm like, please don't ever call me a reverend. Why? I, in some regards, hopefully they're not listening. I mean, it's, it's almost like not biblical. Rabbi in Hebrew is a great teacher. A revered teacher. What's reverend? You call me reverend because I'm supposed to be... What's the Jesus thing? Like, you know... I'm to be revered. That's the title. I'm supposed to be revered. No, I'm supposed to, like, serve. <laughs> and I'm supposed to love. And I'm supposed to get in the gutter with you. And I'm your brother, and you're my brother. And you're supposed to correct me when I'm off. And I'm supposed to correct you when, I'm off, when you're off. And we're supposed to run the race together. Without holding grudges. Without, without being hypocrites. Without, without not being reconciled. But there's one like, do not call anyone a great teacher, a revered one. Don't call anyone a father, except for your heavenly father and obviously your daddy. But what they're getting at here is like, you know, kind of like bestowing that type of honorific thing for we are, like, every mountain shall be made low, every mount- valley shall be raised up. Like, we're, we're together. I'm not going to make a big deal if you call me reverend, but I'm going to be like, can you call me Dave? <laughs> or maybe, like maybe Pastor Dave, like to be so. If, if you're feeling to be respectful in a moment for the most part, man, come on. So I hope that didn't rub anyone too wrong. All right, now, with this today, to be honest, um, there, there are some things today that I was like, "Woo, this is, this is like, I'm, I'm going to be talking about some hot topic things in our culture a little bit, on mind and, and heart. And, you know, I just want you to feel the liberty to, like, I'm going to actually make myself more available after service, maybe after prayer. If you guys have questions on this, on some of this stuff, I, I want you to be able to, like, come up to me and talk to me, because... Depending on, on where you're at in culture, or maybe even how well I articulate it or not articulate it, 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 may, it may, I don't know. Yeah, it may rub people the wrong way. I don't know. I don't really think so, but we'll, we'll see. Okay? Yeah, it's my job. <laughs> so, what do we got here? Is, is really what we need to do here is we, we need to see, you, you need to see a balance with all this. Okay? The heart, the heart. Which a lot of people view just as the place of the New Testament uh, Which I don't think is completely true, right? We're going to take a look at the whole scriptures But the notion of the heart is the notion of compassion, empathy, grace um, uh, The notion of mind is like the place of reason and intellect And, and it, you know, I'm just going to be real with you if we, can get, if we can just all just get over this 21st century cultural war thing Let's just be real in literature, in the Bible, and most likely stereo, not most likely scientifically inside of the uh, human beings, women have a tendency to gravitate towards a place of compassion and grace and being nurturing. That's why they're the ones that have the children, right? There's something godly and biological and DNA that, that women have a tendency to gravitate towards that way. And men have a tendency to gravitate towards the mind and the reason and this is why and this is not. And, and of course, some women err on the one side and men err, err on the other side. I get it. God is both. He has attributes that are of more of that typical femininity in, in, in a way. What I mean by femininity, I mean like nurturing, love, grace, compassion. But he also has attributes that would be considered more of the quote unquote male attributes. Right? He's a god of war. He has a staff and a rod of iron. He's coming back to save us with fire in his eyes on a horse and his name is written in blood on his thigh. He's going to defeat the enemies of God. When he puts his feet on the earth, it's going to cause an earthquake. Like that imagery in literature, right? It's, it's, it's like... Just being real with you, right? There's a little bit more of that, right? And so that's what's, what's going on here. But, and if you still don't believe me with this stuff as, as human beings, because you know how culture is going these days, right? Pick anything you want to be, and that's what you are. Let's just use this very simple example that I was dying from. It's a, it's a meme from Facebook, and I think it proves everything. Oh, that's not true. There, oh, there it is. It's like, I, I think, I think there's a picture that shows like the differences between the two. Like, honey, why'd you leave the toilet seat up? Well, if this happened in our house, which, you know, things like this happen, not quite like this. Uh, what, what would like the more quote unquote male rational minded, you know, side be like, really? You're upset at me for leaving the toilet seat up. Do you see everything that you've left out? Like, in there, like, like, there's like a hundred things wrong there versus my one wrong. I left the seat up. You left like a thousand things on the counter. Like, really? Like, this makes no sense to, to my mind. Like, that happens every day. Right? He's got five girls at home, right? Now, now let's be real. Now, what's, what's a woman thinking in this? The heart and compassion thing. Well, well you know, I want to look good. I need to do all this so I I feel good, so there's a feeling of love. And, and you know, like a toilet seat's dirty and disgusting. It's a place of urine and defecation. Like, that's a lot easier just to shut that down. Like, it's just dirty. But this is for beauty. (laughs) Dirt or beauty. And so it's not a big deal because it's for beautiful things. But the seat up is for dirty things, so shut the seat. And the guy's like, it's one thing, it's just... That's going to take you 30 minutes to... Put away. But here's the thing, you know. Um, I kind of kind of straight from my notes a little bit. Look, the scripture verse I led with is for this to make sense in, in terms of covenant. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Interesting enough that this is taken from Deuteronomy six five. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. What we have here is that there is a, a synchronic. Uh, it's it's kind of like being synchronistic is the word I was looking for. They're they're both both elements of heart and mind are are there in both covenants, but people have a tendency uh, to forget about these things. They have a tendency to forget about these things. And so, the misconception of the Old Testament, and I promise this is going to make a little bit more sense, this will make more sense for us as a church and for you as a a single person. Uh, And we take a look at the Old Testament, a lot of, a lot of times you know, we, we read scripture verses from Leviticus. The Hebrew original title for the book is Ve'ikra, and the God, God spoke. It's like, if there's a book in the Bible that is entitled God spoke, it's like, I, I think maybe I should read it. Not throw it out, like, it's God speaking. I should read it. Like, the significance of it, is God speaking? Like, no other book begins like that. God spoke. Or God called. Right? And so, right, So the Old Testament, a lot of us will think of it as like a series of laws. Well, why? Why all these laws? Because of this. Without law, there's no freedom. Without law, there is no freedom. Even underneath the New Testament context. There needs to be law. Because if you don't have law, there's going to be anarchy. You going to be like a little kid, right? You have to put restrictions on a little kid. If you don't put restrictions on little kids and they're completely free, they're going to jack up and ruin their life. Even if you're the most loving of parents. Like, you need to put restriction. Like, of course you do. If not, my, my kids would probably be all, like, it wouldn't take very long for them just to be eating Reese's peanut butter cups and watching TV all day and staying up to 12 o'clock in the morning, right? You ha- Law is actually a good thing. It is a good thing. It needs to be done. It's for your protection. And a loving father, whether in a physical sense or in a by-law, in a spiritual sense, gives you law. It's not just about heart, it's also law. Because I have a heart for you. I need to give you law so you don't get all jacked up and ruined in your life. Example, the garden. This goes back to the beginning of our covenant series. There's two laws don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but also eat of the tree of life. That's it. Two simple laws. That's it. That's all it was. And we, of course, ate. And so over time, there's a development up into 613 commandments. Why? To protect you. All of those laws of the Old Testament was was sent there to make sure that you don't go astray and do something that would be wrongful to you, to your God, or to your family. And this isn't completely ridiculous. Guys, the IRS Internal Revenue Code is not 613 commandments. It's 2,000 pages on taxation. So our society has 2,000 pages just on taxes. God's Old Testament law was 613 commandments all about life. So our society is much more legal even back then. Am I losing you guys or no? Alright. It's getting a little hot in here. There's another reason. And it wasn't just to protect us. Sorry guys, we just got, we, got, we just got to get into the Word. You know what I'm saying? Like there are people who are just forgetting the Word in our society. And, and, and it's, it's not good. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 shows us the second reason. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we, may, that we might be justified by faith, but after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So one reason for law was to protect you and protect ancient society. And the second reason uh, was to make sure that this thing, this law, would be a tutor to instruct you and show you that you need a Savior. So those are reasons. But as the scriptures say, itself, the law of God is not bad. Proverbs chapter 6, 23. Your law is a light unto my feet. Which law? We're actually talking about the 613 commandments. Psalms 119, the longest chapter of the Bible, is all about the laws and the teachings of God. How beautiful is your law, O God. It's it's unbelievable how long it is. It's just page after page after page. about David reflecting on the beauties of the law of God. Like, they felt it as like a beautiful thing, but many people in the church are like, ah! With that being said, I'm not trying to say, well, let's go back to all those laws. I'm just saying a beauty and a respect for the Word of God so that we can better understand the character of God. Because this has dramatic ramifications in the church, which you're going to see in a moment, I hope. Is there heart and grace in the Old Testament? Of course there is. Abraham was saved by faith. Are the patriarchs in heaven... Whoa, I don't know. The blood of Jesus wasn't shed, so would they be in heaven? Of course they're in heaven, right? The foundations of the earth, the Lamb of God was slain. I mean, not that God has favorites, except for me, right? (laughs) Meaning, like, we all can be his favorite. But, like, when we get up there and it's like, yo, Abraham or Dave, it's like... (laughs) Like, Jacob or Dave, it's like... Father, he's he's pretty he's pretty awesome. You know what I'm saying? Of course they're in heaven, right? There's a grace that's in the old covenant. Grace, come on, David, Bathsheba, adultery. She's stoned to death for that. Stoned for de- to death. Lord, remove remove the contrite spirit within me. Restore the joy of my salvation. Cleanse me with hyssop. I come before you, a broken man. And the Lord would be like, well, we're supposed to stone you. But David's heart, look at that heart. You're forgiven. Right? You're, now, forgiven in the sense that his sin is covered. It's not eradicated. It's not gone. See, with Jesus, it's not my sin is covered. My sin is gone it's gone, it's gone, removed, forever. That's, that's the parallel. Like They sinned, it's there until Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur happens, they, they, they said the sacrifice, they do the sacrifice, and their sin is covered. But with, with my sin, it's gone. And you're like, well, okay, it's just like, you know, a little bit of a, a little difference in, in semantics. No, it's not, because when the sin is gone, who is able to have interaction with it, because there's no sin? Holy Spirit. Like Holy Spirit did not reside inside of David. Resided on him, but not inside him. But Because of Jesus and his blood, we can have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And there's a difference between the Holy Spirit coming upon a prophet, Elijah, and the Holy Spirit being inside of you all the time. It's a big time significant difference. And the difference there, of course, is the power of the blood. Amen? Right. So, I was just saying, people have a tendency to see the Old Testament... Lending to the mind, the legal mind, and the New Testament being one that is leaning towards the, um, the intellect. Could anyone maybe just get me a little water? I was pounding out this coffee this morning. Allergy season's kicking in. <clears throat> and so, as I was saying earlier, not only does this dichotomy, if you will, uh, create bad theology, it also creates very, very messy lives. And I'm just going to be real with you, not necessarily this church, but the church at, l- at large, I feel is in a very messy place. they're doing great things, but other people are in a really messy place. And this is what it really comes down to, is this. If if we look at this kind of like Old Testament God of wrath, New Testament God of love and heart, um, there's an imbalance in our theology, and there's an imbalance inside of our spirits. And so what happens here is this. If we view it this way, that God is all mind, and it's all an intellectual activity, and not a God of the heart, Or let me put it this way, that God is solely only male kind of attributes and not female attributes, that's what I'm going with, you have a problem. Because here's the thing, you can know God with your mind, but not with your heart. Like Satan himself knows of God's wonders, but he has hate for God in his heart. Satan knows the word of God better than I do. He just doesn't have it in his heart. Oh, you're like whoa. That's like that's kind of that's kind of an extreme example. So let's like bring it down a little bit. What about this? You're saved. You're saved. You said that you believe Jesus upon your lips. you have some semblance in your heart, but you know God mostly rationally and intellectually, and He hasn't been planted in your heart yet. What are the results? You probably do not walk in the fruit of the spirit. You don't have. You don't really walk in love. You don't really walk in compassion or long-suffering and patience and hardship. Once that comes, your heart is so... that you're like, screw them. I'm to be justified. How can they do this? How am I supposed to love them? Look what they did to me. Ah! Because you're coming to the Father and you're coming to others with your mind, not your heart. Your heart needs to be transformed. Now, this is, this is a problem... I think in the church. Because you, you really know, right, what, what's made of someone. and what, Once the squeezing comes, right? Like the old cheesy, like, you know what a Christian is made out of when they go through suffering. If Christ comes out, then they're a Christian. That's right? like the old thing they tell you at, like, youth Bible camp. <laughs> but it's true. What are you really? Man, I can be the sweetest, nicest guy, and everything's cool, and everything's going great. Man, when the fires come, the fires of life come, and there's that. <sighs> Dave sometimes, that's uh, my wife. Dave sometimes doesn't exude Jesus in the best ways. Yes, your pastor just said that. Because I'm being real with you. I acknowledge, right? Come on. Being transformed, that means it's a process. I'm not there yet. I want to keep going, but there's things that happen. I'm like, ooh. Wasn't so good. Now am I better today than I was ten years ago? I hope so. I think so. I believe so. So, all right, so no, there's, there's people that fall into that camp. And I think that guys have more of a tendency to gravitate to that place. Not always, but and it's not just guys. It's going be females too. I mean, it's just like if, you, if, if your personality is one that gravitates more to the mind or heart, like th- that's kind of what happens. Okay? Can I get any man with that or no? No? All right. No, no, I, I, like for, what I'm trying to say is like I, I have friends of mine who I would say that the, the, the male figure in the relationship is, is, a, is not like a weakling or a wimp or anything. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But is, is more like heart kind of a person. And then the, the, and then the woman, uh, or the wife or the girlfriend, or whatever, it has a little bit more of the mind thing. I'm not even saying that there's an imbalance in the marriage or anything of like improper. But like, I'm just saying it's like personality has something to do with this, right? the way that the Lord builds you. But in literature and in, 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 in psychology and stuff, we, we say it's a kind of like male and female attributes. And that's the part that I really wanted to make sure that people were understanding. But all right, fine, I, I think this is a problem when the mind is greater than the heart. It's totally a problem. But I think that there's another problem that's actually more subtle, that we're not aware of, that's actually quite problematic. And, and, and it's, 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 I think, I don't want to say a bigger issue, but it's a pretty bad issue. And it's when the mind is less than the heart. And I think largely this is where the church is today, at large. It's all heart! I love God! With my heart. You love God. You, you, you have emotional experiences them, powerful times of worship. But when you leave the church, possibly... The enemy has a freaking field day with your mind. Like when you're here and you're plugged into worship, it's like, oh. And you turn on Bethel and United Pursuit Band, on. oh God, glory cloud. Once that music's off and you've left, left that romantic experience, your mind is a freaking mess. You're all over the place. Your emotions are all over the place. You're up, you're down. As James 1 says, you are tossed to and fro. On the winds and waves of life. You're a double-minded person. Like you have a great heart, romantic experience with God. And then you leave that date, if you will. And now you're like, you know, Satan's like hitting this button, hitting that button, hit that button. And your mind is going to mess. Come on. Anyone? All right. So here's the thing. If you're one of the latter, I think the first one's a little different. But if you're one of these people, it's not necessarily your fault. And it's not necessarily your fault because I believe that the gospel has routinely been reduced in the church to a matter of just the heart and not also the mind. The power of the gospel is to transform your heart, which will then transform your mind and your behavior. Romans 12.2. 12, 12, Come on. I begin in verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed uh, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that God, and acceptable and perfect will of God. Sorry. That you may prove what is, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Tr- yeah, well, transform your heart, brother. Transform your heart. Yeah, well, transform your mind as well. And this is, this is important. This is very important. Because you need to have a balance. If you don't have a balance, things get bad. And what I'm just saying here is I feel, someone who's been in the church for 30 years, you see how I said that? How I feel. Not what I know. It's a little, difference. different. See how I feel about this. I really do believe that there has been a focus so much on the heart that we've lost the mind. There's an anti-intellectualism in the church, and I'm not saying you have to be like some bookish, like PhD, but approaching the Lord also with your mind. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, and your soul, and your strength. Now this is a big thing, guys. Fascinating, fascinating book. Why men hate going to church. Other religions, the ones that we're most closest to, obviously would be Judaism. 50-50 split. 50% of the church male, 50% of the church female. Christianity, 60-40. This church today, 66-33. to I believe... And I know by data, I know by data that we are failing men in the church. We're failing them. And largely, and I don't want to say failing men, I would say failing any personality that is governed a little bit more of the mind than say the heart. We're failing them. And the proof is in the pudding. They're not here. Men don't go to church nearly as much as women. Why? Well, there's a lot of studies that were done. And this is the part where some of you guys are going to be like, ah, so talk to me. There's a belief where I'm kind of growing and as I'm lear- learning about it, I'm like, I, I think this may-, this may be it. There's a belief that over the years, particularly in the Western church, that there has been a feminization of Christianity. We've made Christianity so female-attributed. And not male-attributed both are wrong. They have to be both female attributes and male attributes to have a healthy theological church and to have a healthy being. But the argument here is there's been such a focus on these female attributes or, or, or fe- female imagery that men are like, ah, it's hard for me to connect to. I just got to be real. Uh, like flowery image, imagery. Worship songs and teachings of like more like romance Like what happened to the hymns onward Christian soldier Rugged cross now. I need to fall more in love with you Jesus Do I like the song fall more in love with you Jesus? Yeah, I love him and I want to be more in love with him. Absolutely But if we keep only focusing on the one side you negate the other side you get what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be like some like macho, ridiculous guy. I'm just trying to create what seems to be common sense, which seems to be leaving the world and leaving the church. We need balance. You need balance. You need rugged cross and fall in love with you. This is what this guy is portraying. He's saying this is what's happening in the church. Uh, a second thing they're saying why there's such a, a disturbance here is that they, a lot of men view the pastor as effeminate. I, I just, that's what, that when they're doing their service, that's what they're saying. Now, I don't want to be gossipy. I don't want to be judgmental, man. You know, be, do you? And, and, as long as it's biblical, do you, right? But they're saying like, you know, uh, you know, uh, typical pastor and the little more like contemporary kind of thing, right? You got the skinny jeans, right? You got the, you got the, a little bit more artsy, focus, you know? There's nothing wrong with that. Be you right, but the, the notion here is that the, the church men don't see their pastor as exuding some female attributes, and that works its way down because men are, have a tendency to be led by women. I've met men are have a tendency to be better led by men, and so they're saying that this is this is part. Of, actually, this is such a thing that in the 1920s the church was really nervous about it. They're like, our, our, our boys are becoming too wimpy. Because their Sunday school teachers are mostly female, their public school teachers are mostly female, and now some of the pastors are getting a little like more bookish and and aren't exuding some supposed male attributes. And so the response was in the 1920s the YMCA. The Young Men's Christian Association was built to restore some masculine attributes back into the church. I was reading this I was like, what? It's crazy. It's, it's, It's crazy but crazy cool. So I've got the worship team come on down. Someone needs some help because I know I'm going up against some stuff right now. Is it masculine to be in, quote-unquote, in touch with your feelings? Yes. I would say a real man knows his feelings, but a true man and a true woman in Christ does not allow his feelings to control him or control her. There has to be a balance. yes. Dude, I'm a dude. Do I cry at times underneath heavy situations? Yes. Do I have love in my heart and do I like, oh, break when I see my little girls run to me and jump on my arm? Absolutely. It's called being a man, being a father. But I can't allow those emotions to dictate who I am in him and identity in him. But it's, it's, I'm telling you guys, it's it's subtle. And if you're a woman, you're like, what the heck is he talking about? But I'm telling you, if you're a guy here, you're probably like, uh huh. Yeah, Brian. You, you, know, you know it's the truth, man. It, it happens. So, so, an imbalance, a focus on mostly the stereotypical female aspects of Jesus is unbiblical, as in focusing on the male attributes only. I'm just coming down on the more nurturing female side because that has been the focus. Because we said that, that Jesus wants your heart. Yeah, he wants my heart, but he wants my mind. He wants my soul. He wants everything. We just need a little a little godly correction, I think, in the church. Because I want to see men get saved. And I want to see women get saved. And I want to see boys know what it means to be a father. Fo- like, well, I want boys to know what it means to be a dad. What it means to be a man. And you go back to last year's uh, uh, Father's Day message, we did uh, the different faces or masks that men wear to hide their insecurity. It's, it's, it has a lot to do with that. But it's this notion of mind and heart. It's a notion of like, okay, Old Testament, and New Testament. It's, it's coming together in the full Testament, the full understanding of God. Yes, He is the Lamb of God, but He's also the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Yeah, David is writing his like, heart-flowery psalms, but he's also picking up stones and going after Goliath and cutting his head off. He's also going out and cutting the foreskins off the Philistines and being like, here's my bride price. Bang. It's a man of war, right? So there's both imagery that needs to be understand, understood. If we only have the Lamb of God, we're going to enter into a very seeker-friendly church. Very seeker-friendly. Hey, man, whatever's on your heart, and oh, you're struggling with this sin, and oh, it's, you know, it's okay, we all struggle with stuff. Oh, that's partially true. You are being molded, but come on. We also need the Lion of God. And if you only have Lion of God, you're like, condemnation, wrath, like, I'm not good enough. It's like, that's not good either. But if you have the Lion and the Lamb, you have an understanding of a loving Father who sees victory in me. He I have a loving he loves me, even though my dad may not love me. I have to understand what this means to be loved by him. But this love is like the love of a father, it's the love of a, of, of, of a father over a son, but it's also the love of a general over his troops. It's like I'm calling you into higher places. I'm calling you into a place of victory. It's subtle. Fall deeper in love with Jesus? God wants to have an intimate personal relationship with you. Listen to that language. I know women are like, what's the problem? As a dude who likes to fish and hike and chop wood and do jujitsu, I'm like, fall in love? It's like, that's for my wife. Now, the theory and the understanding of of falling in love, it's it's there. But it's not. What does Jesus say? He says, Love me. He doesn't say, Fall in love with me. He says, Love me. I can love you. Falling in love is romantic, flowery language. It's not even in the Bible. In love? Eh. Love? Yes. Is there a difference? I think so. But when you have pastors and songs that are talking, In love, in love, it, it can do that. And it's not wrong if it's not. Balanced. It's got to be balanced. This one always, this is a real kind of difficult one. God wants to have an intimate, personal relationship with you. He does want to have a personal relationship with me. And it's intimate. But that kind of talk, that statement's not in the Bible. Does he want to have intimacy? 110%. Does he want to have a personal relationship with you? 110%. He wants that. He wants that. He wants that. But if there's so much focus on this flowery romantic imagery, and not also imagery of other things, we're going to alienate the church, and what we're also going to do, alienate men in the church, but we're also going to do is we're going to alienate parts of the mind, and we're only going to be heart-driven people. We also have to be mind-driven people. So fall in love with him, have a personal relationship with him. These words are, as I say, not in the Bible, but, but they're good. It works. It's, it's theological in nature. It, it lines up. But listen to the words of Jesus. Listen to the words of Paul, the apostle. Jesus says, come follow me. Pick up your cross daily. Die to yourself. I want to make you fisher of men. I want to call you into heavenly places. I want you to go before kings and queens. Like men are like, yeah. Like onward a Christian soldier, like it's time to to go get it. Paul the apostle, listen to his language. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Run the race to receive your prize. It's all very active language. So in closing up today, it's this. There needs, to be, there needs to be this balance. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It matters like what governs you. That's what it really matters. Too much heart, your emotions are wild. You're up and down. Too much mind, you're cold, robotic, and wrath. Biblically speaking, in the full picture of God, the heart can monitor the mind and the mind can monitor the heart. So solutions to this stuff. Why are so people driven by having a relationship with God that is only the heart? Because hearts are emotions and emotions you cannot argue with. I feel this way. How can you argue with that? I feel that it's right. You You feel that it's right? Does that mean that it's right? I feel that my actions are right. Well... Are they right? Well, I feel they're right. That's the way the world is going, people. You know what I'm saying? And there's people in the church that think that way. I just feel him and I feel his experience and I got this thing going on, so it must be right. And people in their actions in the church will hide behind that. He wronged me. I feel bad. Well, did he really wrong you? What's really going on, brother? What's really happening? You're allowing your emotions to dictate your life. And so here's the thing, if you are one of the people that are heart people, I want to give you something that you can walk away with today to maybe help your marriages, maybe help your relationship with, with the Lord Himself and help the relationship that you have within yourself, this split dichotomy. Heart people, if you are heart driven people, which stereotypically is going be more female, use your heart to your advantage. Desire intimacy with his word. And here's a scripture verse that you can meditate on. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Power. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is a real, like, war going on. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Truth is word. Truth is intellect. Truth is reason. It's not just how you feel. What's the truth? Forgive them, 70 times 7. That's the truth. What's the truth? There's no cause for divorce, except for sexual adultery. That's it. Now abuse comes to play, and we've got to take a look at that, I understand, but there's, like, there's, there's, there's standards of the mind. There's standards, man. There's standards that are there. I'm telling you, the reason why I'm cracking the whip, guys, is because the world and their liberal agenda is coming up against all of it. Coming up against every last one. Whatever you feel is the way that you are to be and act. Know. To know the sufferings of the gospel. To know daily the burden of the cross. That's the call of a disciple of a soldier of Christ to bear it in him. And the only way you can bear it is if you got the love. <sighs> so let's talk to the dudes here. Or those people that govern more by the mind. Well, your strength becomes your greatest. Your weakness becomes your greatest strength. If you're governed by the mind, use the mind. Use it. Don't forsake it. Use your mind to your advantage and read his word. Use your mind and say, what is he he really saying about about Abel? Because, guys, many of us do need to become more compassionate and more nurturing and more loving. And more understanding. And more empathetic. Absolutely. Because those are not feminine qualities. They are the qualities of Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. I mean, I, I just... I make this a, a daily, sometimes just, just a weekly meditation. If you're a mind person, here it is. For this reason I bow, bow my knees to the Father, our Lord Jesus, the Messiah from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Messiah, which passes all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church of Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Why don't we stand as we close up now. Father, I just pray that people will receive this message in its right understanding. And Lord, I, I have a concern. I just have a concern for the church where the fathers just need to rise up. But I also have a, a, a problem, a concern in the church that, that people are, are, are just coming to you in heart. And their minds are going astray, and their minds are being tossed. And we know that we, give you, we can give you our hearts, but what does the scripture say? The hearts of men are wicked. So we want our hearts transformed, but we want our minds transformed as well. Father, I pray that for those people that lean towards the mind, that the Lamb of God would be made manifest in your life. They would learn and understand what it means to engage in love and identity as a son with you. That you're, a son can love his father, and a father can love his son. Lord, I pray that that would just rise up in the Spirit. And Lord, for those of us in this church and those of us that are at the church at large, Father, I pray that the Lion of God would roar again in the church. That they understand that it's awesome and beautiful to to take care and feed the sick and feed the hungry. But it's got to come with the power of the gospel. The power of repentance. The power of disciplining your mind. And disciplining your character. Father, I pray that we could just, in this place, have a healthy balance. Of love. Of the lamb. Of the mind. And discipline. That they would work in harmony. Harmony. Because the the earth is, the earth needs it. So like I said, if you have questions regarding all the weirdo stuff I was teaching on today, just hang out and you can talk to me after we have a little time of prayer for those that need it. We have refreshments downstairs. It would be wonderful if you join us for some coffee and whatever else kind of food and, and stuffs down there. But if you feel that you're more of a heart person and you need the renewing of your mind, you know, you need to like toughen up a little bit in the spirit and wage war. I just want you to come on down. And we're going to have a team. We're going to have our our team come down and pray. If you're a type of person that you're like, well, you know, I kind of navigate too much towards the mind and my heart. is just needs to be transformed. You need to soften up a little bit. I'm like one of those people and then the Lord in his in his bright wisdom gave me three daughters that kind of transformed your heart kind of quick I'm like oh I got to a like compassionate and loving and lovey-dovey sometimes oh man if you're like one of those people just come on down we'll pray for you alright feel free to stay for worship or go or have a wonderful week we're officially done but like I said we'll just open up the sanctuary for, for worship and also a time of of prayer, and if you like some questions. Have a wonderful week.